welcome to the podcast of the Vine Church in Fullerton, California. For more information, visit thevineoc.com. Pentecost, as it would have been called, was was a, a real celebration of of God's um, gift of creation. In fact, originally it was kind of an agricultural celebration of the of the new harvest. But there was also a celebration of the, of the creation of God's people, that is, the people called Israel. Now, I happen to know that <clears throat> talking about the Holy Spirit, even in church, often brings up a whole bunch of different views about how this mysterious Spirit of God works in people's lives. And, you know, for some folks, Acts chapter 2 sets a very firm paradigm about how the Holy Spirit always works in people's lives, especially the speaking in tongues part. Um, for others, the story is more of a, of a one-off event and shouldn't be considered as, as something that would keep happening to people on a regular basis. And of course, out from those, there's all kinds of other views as well. Uh, I have heard some very energetic debates about this topic, and you probably have too. Um, sometimes in those debates we, debates, we wonder where the Spirit of the Lord is, but that's... <laughs> different. But you know, a few years ago, I, I heard the, the then president of Fuller Seminary, Dr. Richard Mao, uh, speak publicly about a friendship, a friend, a friend of his on the faculty at Fuller who was Pentecostal. <clears throat> and um, now Dr. Mao's Presbyterian, pretty firm on that. And so it was really easy to kind of imagine what sort of conversations they might have about the nature and the work of, of the Holy Spirit. But Do- Dr. Mao said something that I have always found incredibly helpful. He said, when my friend prays, he prays in tongues. I don't do that, he said, but I'm glad that my friend does. For me, that's just a really good place to rest. Well, the the story that that Luke gives us in Acts chapter 2 is really a continuum of a theme that runs all through Scripture, really beginning with Genesis chapter 12, way back in Genesis, where, where God tells Abram that, that Abram's descendants will bring blessing to all the families of the earth. Now, that message pops up periodically. You see it again in Genesis 22. It pops up in the Psalms. It comes into the New Testament. And, and this is the beginning of a focus on, on God's people, the people called Israel, and how they will embody the mission of God to a world that has just gone off the rails. The end of Luke's gospel, <clears throat> Luke sets the stage when he quotes Jesus saying that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. Now, you probably know that Luke and Acts are book one, book two, both by Luke. You know, it's a, they ought to be together in the Bible, don't you think? Matthew, Mark, John, Luke, Acts. I'll see if I can get somebody to deal with that. Um, but you know, the idea of God's heart for all the families of the earth, all the nations, is really crucial for getting our, our minds around what was even going on here in this story in Acts chapter two. Now, the the people who were all gathered that day for the Feast of Pentecost would have been mostly Jewish pilgrims, perhaps some some proselytes, who had come from the surrounding nations outside of Israel where their ancestors had been exiled many years ago. 
Some may have even just gone there voluntarily because they wanted to set up businesses or find work or something like that. And while these folks were all still Jewish people, they were part of the family, they were also natives of those other nations, and they would have been raised with the languages and the dialects of the various regions where they lived. Now, Jesus' disciples, like a lot of folks in that time, in that place, would have spoken Aramaic on a daily basis and probably were conversant in Koine Greek, common language Greek, uh, because that was the, the lingua franca, the common language of the Roman Empire, so most everybody spoke Greek as well. And uh, <clears throat> the gathered pilgrims there would have probably been fluent in one or the other or both of those languages, depending on where they had come from. Well, communicating what God had done in and through Jesus on that particular day could have been very efficiently accomplished if the disciples would have just divided themselves up into two groups, with this group speaking Aramaic, this group speaking Greek, just two languages, not all that complicated. Um, all the bases would have been covered by doing that except it didn't happen that way. In fact, the disciples didn't even engineer what did actually happen. It, when you read the text, you realize it just sort of exploded out of them. It, it was a, a cacophony of praises to God articulated in all the recognizable languages of the gathered pilgrims. I mean, it is no wonder that people heard all this noise and said, these guys have got to be drunk even if it is only 9 o'clock in the morning, because it's 5 o'clock somewhere. <laughs> but you know, the, the, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and, and the subsequent speaking out in the various languages of the people was the work of God, who was demonstrating in a very powerful way his intentions for the world. And, and his intentions were that his people, his, his renewed, reborn people who would claim Jesus as Lord would bring blessing to all the families of the earth. In fact, they would bring this blessing by proclaiming repentance and the promise of forgiveness of sins to all who would hear. And how would they do that? These gathered pilgrims who just heard a sermon from Peter that was rather scathing in its content. Well, first of all, these folks would respond to Peter's message that he had preached to them no matter its difficulty. And quite a few people did respond very positively to, Jesus, or to Peter's message. And second, they would experience a whole new kind of community together. They would begin to share resources and food and dine together and be together in some brand new ways. And they would do it right there in Jerusalem as, as a people born of God's spirit. And then finally, they would go home again. See, after the Feast of Pentecost, they all had to go back. They had stuff to do, work to do, businesses to run, family to take care of, and so on. And they would go back home to all the nations of the earth, at least the nations of the earth that the people of that time knew even existed somewhere in the Mediterranean basin. They would go back to all the things that were important to them. They would resume their lives outside of Israel, and they would be launched right out of Jerusalem. Well, the work of God on the day of Pentecost was, was certainly for the benefit and the blessing of the gathered people. But it, it was also a missional work, a work of God's missionary enterprise, because the people would go back to those home countries and they would bear witness to God's work in and through Jesus. 
for as much as they understood it. Well, there is no doubt in Scripture that the Holy Spirit, the very Spirit of God, fills and overwhelms and directs people toward God's mission in the world. However, it would be a mistake to view the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in our lives as something that is strictly utilitarian. That is, sort of like getting fueled up just to go get a job done. If, if you were to go to a Bible search site, you know, like BibleGateway.com, we used to use, you know, concordances and flip painfully through them. Now just dink, 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 there it is. It's magical. Um, but if you go to one of those and you search for the words Holy Spirit, just put in those two words, um, you will get a really quick overview about how the, how the Spirit is characterized in Scripture. And uh, here are some of the things that you would discover that the Holy Spirit brings power to human beings, power to proclaim healing, to cast out demons, to discern spirits, to, to preach the gospel. A lot of things that this power brings into people's lives. And the Spirit brings knowledge, knowledge of things that are right and true, a process of discernment, even, even knowledge of things that are directly from God. And the Spirit opens up the truth of people's lives called convicting of sin as people are led to a place of repentance and forgiveness. And the Spirit brings to his people gifts for the sake of the body and love in abundance and joy and peace. Jesus refers to the Spirit as the advocate, a word that in Greek can also be translated as the comforter. The Spirit brings comfort. And the Spirit is indeed our advocate. The Spirit prays for us. When we run out of words, the Spirit prays on our behalf, intercedes for us. Those are the kinds of things that you would discover. So to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit of God, is to enter into a new, new kind of life. And, and this is really important to us because we are constantly being invited into other kinds of lives that are inhabited by various so-called spirits. And, and there's all kinds of them out there. You know, you've got spirits in our context of, of materialism, consumerism, nationalism, racism, all, all kinds of things that are like that. And, and these take on the form of spirits, so to speak, in that they enter into a person's consciousness and form the lens through which the world is then viewed. But the Holy Spirit dismantles those isms. The Holy Spirit creates in us a lens that is crafted by the desires and the intentions of God. The Apostle Paul made a, a very important claim in his letter to the Christians in Rome. He said, God raised Jesus to life. God's Spirit now lives in you and he will raise you to life by his Spirit. Do we believe that this is true for us? I mean, like, really? I mean, we, we can talk about the Holy Spirit all day long from a, a theological perspective or a, a doctrinal standpoint, perhaps. Uh, and we can along the way forget that what we're really talking about is the Spirit 
of the living God who desires to live within us. And when we come to recognize this, and we invite God's Spirit to dwell in us, we have to recognize something else. And that is that we have then become people of the Spirit. Our primary identity is that we are people inhabited by the very Spirit of God. That's first. Primary identity. And as people of the Spirit, we rest in the life of God that is primarily a life of love. Now, in that same letter that Paul wrote to the church in Rome, he reminded them that God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. This Spirit-activated love defeats the power of all the other so-called spirits that seek to live in us. The, the spirits that, that may have inhabited us in the past may still kind of come after us, maybe nip at our heels a little bit like a chatty little dog, but, but they no longer have power over us. They no longer have the power to define us or to direct us in our engagement with the world around us. In other words, when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, when the Spirit overwhelms us, baptizes us in a sense, when the, when the Spirit comes into our lives, when the Spirit fills us, then we become a changed people. That's where our understanding of our faith as Christians is very different than simply signing up for the religious group that you like the best. We become a transformed people, and that's at the heart of our faith. Well, okay, so how does that even happen for us? Well, again, we go back to our little Bible program to review the biblical texts that are related to the Holy Spirit, and we find that we really just cannot put God's Spirit into a box. As Jesus told Nicodemus in that really famous conversation that you've read a million times in John chapter 3, he says, the wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. <clears throat> As I read through the book of Acts this week, I saw that, you know, sometimes the Holy Spirit comes upon people strictly by God's initiation, like right out of left field, like in Acts chapter 2. Um, other times the Spirit comes after people hear about Jesus for the first time and, and, and respond in repentance sort of like the gathered pilgrims. Uh, there are times when people have learned about Jesus, even believed in what they've heard, but have had no experience of the Holy Spirit until people like Peter and John showed up and prayed for them. And there are even times when people seem more filled with the Spirit than they do at other times. The Spirit of God is just impossible to pin down. It's sort of like trying to nail down the wind. You know, I... I believe that God is incredibly patient and generous with us. Some of us can go on for years with a conviction that the gospel is a good story, a very fine story, possibly even a true story, and yet have very little sense of God's presence in our lives. Others can feel even defeated because they, they've struggled and they've tried to work up enough faith to get God to do something for them, but, but the filling of the Spirit just seems to be elusive for them. 
And still others might be fearful that all this Holy Spirit business is just a slippery slope into wild-eyed religious crazy fanaticism. And that has happened. In the the late 19th century, a, a new group of very enthusiastic Christians emerged in the United States calling themselves Pentecostals. And uh, the overall Christian community was not all that comfortable with them. Um, they were, their expressions of worship were way too exuberant. They kept praying for people to get healed and claimed that it was happening. They were even consigned to the category of cults for many, many years. I remember finding an old textbook from, I think, the 1920s, and sure enough, a listing of cults. There they were, Pentecostals. Um, their separateness from much of mainline Christianity really continued to a large degree right into the 1950s. Um, while at the same time, Pentecostalism was growing and spreading all over the world, which is causing you know, no shortage of consternation from people who were grouchy about it. But you know something? In the early 1960s, something really interesting took place. It was very unexpected because the things that were happening were happening in places where these things should never happen. People in sacramental churches like, you know, Anglican, Roman Catholic, Lutheran, some others, um, started experiencing some of the same things that those wild Pentecostals said that they were experiencing. Things like just breaking out in exuberant and joyful worship. Uh, Some were speaking in tongues. Some of the priests were speaking in tongues. And it wasn't Latin. (laughs) for those of you who have been Roman Catholic. um, People were were, were falling over, saying they fell over by the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, His pastors and priests in those formerly very orderly environments were praying for people to receive the Holy Spirit, and all kinds of things were happening, including a number of those leaders being fired from their jobs. And that happened for many, many years. Well, that was the birth of what we now call the charismatic movement. Charismatic movement didn't emerge out of Pentecostalism. It emerged out of sacramental churches where none of that stuff was supposed to happen. But that's quite a word, isn't it? Charismatic? It's derived from the Greek word for grace, and I'm really thankful for that. The gift of God's spirit in our lives is a gift of grace. Getting that into our minds should help us let go of the struggles that we might have to just try to get something to happen. Maybe find that just magic secret button that we need to push so that the Holy Spirit will just show up. The gift of the Spirit cannot be measured or quantified, but it will be expressed by praise and by worship and by love. When I was first learning about some of this Holy Spirit business back as a young man, I had a friend who was a very exuberant Pentecostal. He made me nervous, but I was, where I was stationed in the Navy, he was the only Christian friend I had, so I was kind of stuck with him. Um, we're still friends today, even though he became a Presbyterian. And, uh, but I, he kept going on about this whole being filled with the Spirit, baptism of the Holy Spirit, all this language he was using. I said, I don't even get this. What does it do? And he says, well, he said, for me, I had that experience. And he said, the biggest thing that happened for me was I felt overwhelmed by love. And I felt an incredible, renewed sense of love 
for everybody around me. For him, for my friend, his primary expression was an explosion of love. Well, it comes to us by grace. No matter what it looks like, no matter how it's expressed in our lives, it comes to us as gift. It comes to us as grace. It comes to us by the love and the care of God. In our reading this morning from the Gospel of Luke, Jesus tells his disciples to wait, to wait for the promised gift of the Holy Spirit. And in that text, their response in the waiting is to worship. They are found in the temple, praising God, engaging in worship. And we are people of the Spirit. And in our shared worship, we open ourselves to God's grace and to his love and to his Spirit. What I would ask us to do now is to rest in this for a bit. Uh, Darren is going to come up and lead us. And you don't have to sing if you don't want to. You certainly may. But I want to encourage you to open yourselves up to the Spirit of God in whatever new way the Spirit has in mind. If you've come with struggles in that regard, that you're not sure how all this stuff works, just open yourself up to the very love and care and grace of God. This is God's thing. It's not anything we engineer or control. We just sort of wait on God to touch our lives as as God sees fit. And we can rest in that. And so in our time of waiting, we will engage in worship. And then soon I will call us back to come together with some of the important things that we do as we gather. So I'm going to pray for us and just stop and rest. Invite the Spirit into your life. God, we come to you this morning as people of the Spirit. And we come to you in in very diverse ways. Uh, Some feel like they're just bubbling over with the presence of your Spirit, even in this moment. And others are in a place of struggle, perhaps, a place of concern, a place of questioning. But we all come to you in the same way, with open hands and open hearts. And we say, come, Holy Spirit, by your grace, by your love, by your care. And in these moments, will you show yourself to us in the ways that you desire?